Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. This is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, and it is our distinct pleasure to have Michael Potts of the Bluefin 4 charter vessel from Montauk, New York, on the line with us today. Michael, are you there? Yes, how are you doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? Great. Ter- terrific. It's, um, it, we're recording this um, just at the uh, middle of May. And it's just kind of at the beginning of your season. Are you ready to, uh, um, or have you been taking people out already, Michael? Um, yeah, we've had a few trips. Uh, cod fishing was kind of slow, so we're, we were slow with that. But we're, we're uh, just starting to catch other species now. Ah, terrific. Terrific. Well, well Michael, you know, when uh, you and I first started talking a number of months ago, you mentioned that you were from Montauk, New York. And I'm scratching, I was scratching my head at the time going, now, I know where New York, New York is, and I know where Albany is, but I, I had no idea where Montauk is. Um, and uh, if you can give us an idea of where you fish out of and how in the world you ever got into this business, uh, I think that's a great place to start. Sure. Well, uh, Montauk is at the eastern tip of Long Island, about 120 miles uh, Long Island, which uh, sticks that far out from um, the city of New York you know, calling right. it Manhattan. And um, a lot of people in the rest of the country of the world uh, don't realize how far out into the ocean we are. You know, they just, when you say New York, they visualize skyscrapers, et cetera. Right. And uh, although, although there's fishing around that area, we are uh, very rural out here, a uh, small town, um, almost like, almost like uh, you saw in the movie Jaws. It, that's what our you know our town is uh, very much like that oh and okay. um yeah and um oh yeah the nearest stoplight for me is ooh, i don't know 15 miles and uh yeah although there's traffic it is that's where the nearest stoplight is so yeah um actually i was uh born into the business oh, um yeah the sport fishing business is uh, I've been in this, you know, commercial and sport in this town for, you know, a long time, mm-hmm. uh, to whatever degree. I guess they initially used to push boats off the beach, and you know, and then there was whaling in the area, and and it branched off into into everything else. And um, anyway, if you you know if you believe in, in the phrase "it's in your blood," well, that's how I got into it. It was it's in my blood. Uh, as I grew up, uh, it, it was you know, I was involved with my uh, family's business, and it turned out to be that's what I wanted to do. No kidding. Now, now, what, was your family in the commercial fishing business, or were they also doing sports fishing? Um, well, here it's uh, mostly a blend of the two. Um, you know, you, you have a you have a boat. And you either uh, take people out for hire, or you go out and catch fish and sell them. Uh, you use your you use your boat to to make a living in in whatever whatever way you can. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. Well, that well that makes sense. Well, you've seen some changes then over the years, haven't you? 
Oh yeah, we can we can talk about the changes uh, uh, for hours, and and they and they seem to be uh, accelerating uh, as as everything is accelerating with climate change. You know, uh -huh. however however you believe or don't believe in it, uh, things are changing, and and not and not all of them make sense. Uh, yeah. If you you know as as to global warming or but whatever it is, it's it's definitely changed. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. Now, now your your uh, uh, fishing vessel, the Bluefin Four. My understanding that that's a really special boat for the area in which you fish. Is that right? Um, yeah, it was it was built for another a charter fishing family, um, and uh, went into service in 1970. And um, he was the captain that was running the boat. Uh, in the family was aging and when he passed away we were uh, lucky enough to get it. Um, it, it was uh, designed by an engineer who knew the local waters and uh, the waters are different in different parts of the world and then there's different kinds of boats in different right. areas of the world and uh, this one lays in the type of sea that we have here very comfortably. Mm -hmm. Now, is is the is the boat uh, metal or is it uh, fiberglass or what? What's it constructed of? Uh, well, the original construction was just uh, mahogany planking over over oak frames, oh, and wow. uh, and since then I've uh, glued. Um, but I don't know what it was in the early two thousands. Uh, I glued um, marine plywood, cleaned the whole bottom off, glued marine epoxied marine plywood to the bottom and then covered it with uh, fiberglass and epoxy cloth. Wow. Epoxy That's... and fiberglass cloth, rather, sorry. Sounds pretty sturdy. Yeah, very strong, yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, now what uh, what type of fishing do you do off of Montauk, Michael? I know today we're gonna talk um, and focus in on, on the shark fishing that you do, but are there other types of fish that you uh, catch out of, uh, out of Montauk? Yeah, in order to in order to run a successful business, you have you have to, um, and I like the I like the variety too. Uh, we catch everything from uh, small flatfish like flounder and fluke, uh, which I mean I have customers that enjoy, you know, all different kinds of fishing. Some like little ones, some like big ones. People that like big ones don't like little ones, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, right. the smaller ones are fluke, flounder. Then you got. Uh, porgies, which is what we caught uh, yet mostly yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, sea bass season opens up soon. Uh, bluefish, we caught a few of them. Uh, striped bass, we caught a few of them. I'm going in terms of increasing size generally. Cod, um, and then you then uh, soon uh, sharks and tuna will show up. Oh, okay, okay. I'll be darned. Now, when when you're fishing during the season, Michael, I. I, I would imagine, and I'm, I'm assuming here, that when you're fishing for sh uh, shark and tuna, you're offshore, but are you involved in any of the inshore fisheries? Right, well, the, generally the smaller fish are, are generally inshore and the larger fish are generally offshore. So, okay. the, you know, the, the, right? So uh, on, uh, on, on some days we may do some of both, uh, it usually is better to concentrate on one or the other, but we, uh, you know, if, if, if the customer definitely wants something to take home to eat, we may make a 
a couple of uh, spend a little bit of time um, looking for a, a striped bass or a bluefish or something like that. So they yeah. have, uh, yeah, they have. They're guaranteed to have something to take home to eat because when we're shark fishing, uh, it's mostly uh, catch and release uh, unless we were to, to get a good eating one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that well that makes sense. Well, now now yeah, we're allowed. We're if you don't mind me saying, we're allowed one uh, one shark per boat per day, and there's a, a variety of size limits depending on the kind of shark, and only a few of them are really good eating. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the is there there were slot limits on on that, and so you know in regards to sharks, uh, Michael, what uh, what species of sharks are you catching these days? Well, no question about it. The most predominant shark in the Northwest Atlantic here is the blue shark. Uh -huh. And we very rarely kill a blue shark. We uh, uh, catch them on as light as tackle as possible, uh, enjoy the fight, get them up to the boat and release them. And uh, that's a story. They, uh, they, they pull pretty, most of them pull pretty hard. It's mm -hmm. common for them, to, for them to be two, 250 pounds. Oh my. Uh, you know, once, yeah, some are small, 50 to 100 or so. Uh, if we see them around the boat, we get them on a spinning rod or a light rod or something. But um, uh, the bigger ones uh, pull pretty hard and, you know, we let them go. Wow, really? So, you know, I, I envision, I've, I've seen a lot of, of, uh, of, of TV shows on shark fishing and that sort of thing. And off Montauk, is there a, a certain way that you you fish for those? I mean, do you chum for them? Um, what what are the techniques that you use? Right. Well, without going into other methods, the most effective one is to uh, drift and put out a chum slick. If, oh, okay. You, uh, okay. If we can get into it later and into uh, what how I'll, how I pick an area uh, to fish, but sure. basically you. Yeah, but right, basically you stop the boat and we have both fresh, uh, fresh fish and frozen chum that we can put in the water and it dissolves and leaves a uh, trail uh, behind the boat as the boat drifts along. And then you enhance that with pieces of fresh fish, uh, et cetera. Uh -huh. And um, yeah. Wow, that that sounds that sounds exciting. What in, in regards to the trips that you take and that sort of thing? What what what's a what's a the typical trip trip or maybe a, an exciting one that you've taken just recently? Well, several. I have many exciting stories um, that that come to my mind, but I, I particularly like this one uh, shark fishing story. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, I had a, a family charter me. It was a father and five sons. That's rare enough to begin with. Yeah, and it just, hap yeah, it, it just happened to be that they were interested in a tournament. So we're fishing in a tournament setting, uh, which means uh, that you can't use any, any guns because generally if we're going to uh, kill something to eat it, we shoot it because it's by far the safest thing to do. Mm -hmm. And we do very little shooting, but if we're going to eat it, that's by far the safest. However, in a tournament, none of that stuff can come around, and you have and you have to you have to gaff it. Oh, so man. I 
Uh, yep. So I had the the father and these five sons, and we we caught it. We caught and released a couple of average sharks, and uh, then a, a good sized mako came around the boat. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes you see, sometimes you see the fish you're going to hook, and sometimes you don't. But in this case, uh, in this case, we did, and we we hooked this good sized mako, and uh, so one of the brothers is fighting it, and uh, it, it's jumping around, and it looked like about 400 pounds, um, and so we we decided, uh, you know. We we talk about how we're going to land this thing, okay? okay. With, with a fish that size, it's best uh, if I stay at the wheel and maneuver the boat, and the mate leaders the fish, right? And if if uh, if nobody's capable on the boat, he would get the leader up, and I would and and uh, I would come down and gaff it. But I had a bunch of capable. Uh, sons on the boat. And are these, by the way, the the family they were in age of um, I would have to say fifteen to twenty five years old, something like that. Strapping young kids. And, huh? Yeah, yeah, they were they were all in good shape. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that the that it, it would be best if um, two of the brothers manned two gaffs. And here's the story behind the two brothers. Um, one, one brother was in one of the branches of the military. Uh-huh. And he also, he also was a boxer in the military. Uh, and he was a champion along the lines of golden gloves, but whatever they had in the military. Okay. Uh, and he was, he was going to be on one of the gaffs and the other brother that was on the other gaff looked virtually the same. He was in great shape as well, but um, he was, he, he had a, a office job. Okay. Um, he, he was in some sort of finance or management or something like that. So anyway, he was, he was on the other gaff. And I guess it was just inside of an hour that uh, the Mako came up on top. And uh, he was cruising along, and I uh, one way to one way to land them is to fool the shark into thinking everything's okay, and sneak up on him. So okay. we're we, we we have pressure on the shark, and I'm I'm maneuvering the boat towards him, and he's up on top. So we're going the same direction, and uh, you know we discussed you know what was going to happen mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, if, if everything in this case worked out, I'd come up to the boat, the mate would, would, would grab the leader, but he doesn't pull hard. He just, enhan- you know, he just kind of controls the leader and we just bring the, bring the fish alongside the boat before he knows what's going on. And one brother, brother plants the gaff in, in the head and the other brother would plant the gaff uh, wherever he could near, near the tail. And right. then we just hang on. Right, because the they're called flying gaffs. The once the gaff goes, once the gaff goes into the shark, uh, it will the head of the gaff releases from the handle, and it's oh. on a uh, line that's tied to the boat. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay, that's that's what a flying gaff is. So 
we're we're uh, we're edging up on this shark, and uh, everything went to plan perfectly. Okay. Um, the mate grabbed the leader. The shark did not really was not really concerned that the boat was close, and the, the mate grabbed the leader, eased the shark within range, and uh, both brothers reached over and uh, gaffed him perfectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, we got it under control and everything. Hang on one second. We got it under control and everything, and we ended up. It ended up being, I think it was three hundred ninety-six pounds, and we won that tournament. Wow! Really? But anyway, I didn't get to the. I didn't get to the good part of the story. Actually, that's all background okay. because here's a, all right. So, so afterwards, that, we were, sort of like the Paul Harvey. Here's the rest of the story, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, anyhow, back at back at the dock. Um, where there's a awards dinner and um during a quiet time at the awards dinner the 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 family's there uh the five brothers the father the mother and um you know I'm sitting and my wife is at the table with him and we're we're talking about you know how it went down and the the two brothers described their experience so the uh, one that was in the military and the boxer says, you know, he heard me tell him uh, how I thought this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he was standing ready with the gaff and the shark was, uh, come, you know, we were edging into the shark and he said, it seemed like it took forever that he, the, he was waiting and waiting and waiting. And the shark, we edged the boat closer. The mate got the line. He waited and waited and waited. And, and, you know, and then he got the gaff in it. Right. Um, the other brother, who was the office guy, said he heard the instructions from me, uh, saw the shark, and um, and and it happened so fast. The boat came up, boat came up to it. He was barely ready and barely and barely got the gap into it. His two brothers, with the exact same experience, because of their uh, their backgrounds, seeing this this the exact same. Uh, event totally differently. No kidding. Yep. You know, one was, you know, the boxer, because he's used to things happening so fast, guys coming at you, ducking punches and whatever. And, um, uh, you know, that that it was in, it was in, for him, it was in slow-mo. Right. And for the other brother with all the, almost the same genes, but just a a different, a, a different lifestyle. It, it was uh, it was in like fast forward. Oh, that's it, crazy. It was, uh, yeah, I was a. Uh, that story uh, resonates in my mind. Uh, any any time I have uh, families and brothers and stuff on the boat, it's uh, and I tell them that story. Everybody has their own unique experience, huh? That's interesting. That yeah. that is interesting. So you you had this mako hook for what do you say an hour before you uh, got into the boat to gaffin? Yeah, that's quite common. Oh, yeah, it was about an hour. Yeah, you want you. It's it's um um well, depending on the size of the fish. Uh, when you go to laugh it, land it rather, it's yeah. preferable if a, a fish, a, a large fish, has is somewhat tired out. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, before you uh, try to land him uh, for safety purposes. Right. 
Right. Wow. No kidding. So mo in, in most cases, when you're not in a tournament, you'll, you'll just shoot them at that point and then bring them on board. Is that what you do? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's much safer. I would have, yeah. uh, you know, if we had, if, if we had wanted to eat it, uh, it's, that's around, um, it's pretty big. So it's around size where, uh, it, you know, the, depending on, on the clients on board, they might consider it uh, actually too big to eat. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's edible, but they might say, I'm going to let's, let's wait for a little smaller one, better eating, or, mm -hmm. you know, we really don't need it. And we would have just released it unharmed. But if we yeah. wanted it, if we wanted to kill it, or if we wanted to eat it, we would have shot it much safer that, you know, than, than, uh, uh, I mean, we would have shot it and then gapped it. Right. Um, and it would have been usually, I, I usually I shoot it once, hit the spine and there's a lot of blood and we, and we gaff it and it, and it hardly moves. That's mm -hmm. by far safer than, than being tied to a 400 pounds of thrashing muscle. Oh, oh absolutely. And, and people really you know, which, don't realize how dangerous that is. I've, I brought in halibut into into a, in, into boats num a number of times that were in the you know 250 range, and although they don't have the teeth and and the snarl, if you may, of a shark, they've got that great big old tail, and it'll break your leg faster than you uh, uh, you know faster than you can shake a stick. I mean, it it, uh, it it's quite an event when you bring a fish into the boat that size, isn't it? Right. Well, even if you don't bring it in the boat and you have it, you know, and you keep it in the water and until until you definitely have it secured and it may not be dead, but it's at least secured, uh, right. usually by the tail. Uh, it, it's not so much, uh, the teeth as it is, uh, the muscle thrashing around and, and lots of people have gotten hurt and lost fingers. Um, sure. and you know, without getting bit, uh, mm -hmm. those that, that have, have gotten bit by landing a shark stupidly put their hands, uh, <laughs> in the mouth or around the mouth, uh, which is not a, you know, which is a total error, you know, oh, yeah. and, and, and has, has nothing how to, to do with the, really how dangerous landing a big, uh, a big shark should be, oh, you know, yeah. it, it's the muscle, it's the muscle involved, not so much the, the teeth. You know, one of the things that you mentioned in that story and, and really interesting to me is that you know all the coordination of you and your mate and the the um, the the guests on board when you hook something that big. I mean, it it sounds like you're uh, strategizing that that whole hour before you get even to the boat, huh? Oh yeah, it, that's one reason. Um, one reason I like uh, shark fishing is um, well, there's two. One is when I'm chumming, the boat uh, engine is off. It's quiet. We talk. Um, trolling naturally, the boat engine's on, and there's right. there's noise, and it's not as easy to talk. Here, here we're talking. You move about. Also, um, when when a, in a fish like that, uh, almost everybody on the boat is involved. Uh, somebody is uh, shooting video. Maybe a right. couple people are shooting video. Uh, others are, you know, uh, getting stuff. Um, out of the way, moving the rods that we're not using, getting them out of the way, um, uh, getting any of the bait that we were, were that we were using to attract the sharks, getting getting that out of the way, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So everybody's everybody's it's a team it's a team effort. I mean, 
really two people can do it, but if you have three or four, I would have to say, you know, that in, in this situation, um, you know, uh, not including anybody videoing up four people is perfect. You know, yeah. one myself running the boat, the guy fighting the fish, well, actually five, the, the mate for the leader and two gaff people. Mm -hmm. What a, what a great experience for a, a group of fishing buddies or in the case that you shared a family. I mean, they're going to remember that for a lifetime, aren't they? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So in, in regards to fishing for shark, um, off of Montauk, um, are there different seasons that you go out? When, when is the best time to, uh, to go catch a shark from where you're at? Okay. Well, um, they could start showing up any day now. Uh, they have been caught. They have been caught around Memorial Day weekend. Um, if, if there's a pocket of warm water uh, offshore that, that has broken off from the Gulf Stream, they come in. When I say warm, just, just warmer uh, because it can be too warm as well. But um, I, haven't, I haven't heard of any yet. But generally, um, I start fishing around the middle of June. Uh, that's, you know, when I recommend uh, a charter for them huh. to be, you know, to start taking, you know, if somebody, if somebody asks me for this weekend, I tell them I really, you know, I mean, if you, you know, really want to do it, we'll try it. But I really recommend um, a little later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation about, you know, some sharks being good to eat and some not being good to eat. Um, is, is that because of like the seasons? I mean, do they, you know, are they, are they not good to eat a certain type of shark during a certain time of the year or what, how, how does that, um, how does that play out? Well, uh, I would have to say that, that all sharks are edible and, okay. uh, you know, around the world, uh, different peoples who are, um, I don't want to use the word desperate, but you know, it, it's part of their diet. We'll eat uh, sharks that are, you know, we consider less desirable. Uh, they have ways of cooking, cooking them that might be complicated uh, uh -huh. to make them uh, more desirable. Um, I can't really think of a way to relate it to common foods. Um, but anyway, um, there's the, um, they, some different species of sharks uh, have different, are different levels of uh, eating quality for the following reason. Uh, first of all, there's a huge misunderstanding, not by everybody on the face of the earth, but a lot of people in the world, that sharks do not have a urinary system and they urinate uh, out through their meat and skin. Uh, there could, it couldn't be any farther from the truth. Okay. What it is, is yes, all living animals have salts in their cells. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a balance. It's an important salt of, of a variety of types, uh, sodium chloride, potassium chloride, et cetera, et cetera, are all important for, uh, life function. Um, sharks happen to have a higher concentration of urea in their 
uh, um, in their cells than mm-hmm. other than a lot of other animals. And different sharks have higher concentrations of it, and of uh, and and less of other salts than other sharks do. <clears throat> okay. And uh, right, so that's what uh, when a uh, shark is killed. Um, some of that, that urea gets uh, converted to ammonia, and that's why that strong smell and taste ah. uh, evolves. And uh, the sharks that have less of that in their system are primarily in the mackerel. Uh, they're, they're called mackerel sharks. And that those are being uh, white white sharks, fresher right. sharks, poor beagle, uh, mako, and um, others, you know, related to them, wherein mm-hmm. they have a lesser concentration of that in their body at any time. Also, wow. uh, also how you handle it when you catch one uh, decreases the amount that's in their system if you catch a shark and uh bleed it immediately uh, a lot of that gets bled out mm-hmm. in in the blood and out of the meat and uh they're uh, and they're excellent they're all they're generally considered excellent eating oh really okay okay so so in in your case in your area what what are the what are the sharks that are good to eat. Then you've got your mako, right? We mentioned men- mako, and I think you catch thresher shark there, don't you? Right, uh, mako and thresher are the the two uh, commonly caught uh, good eating ones here. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't get we don't get too many poor beagles. Uh, those would be good eating too. Uh, as small, uh, uh, what's called a sandbar shark. Yeah, uh, or or commonly called brown sharks. Uh, there, I would have to go call. Let's call that B quality. Okay, okay. they're uh, yeah, they're utilized um, up and down the coast for food as well, and somewhat hammerheads. And mm-hmm. um, once again, you know, they have to be taken care of and not too big and kept fresh, iced, and all that. And the rest of them are, you know, more difficult uh, to uh, to make them taste good, but they, you know, but they are edible. Got it. Now, now, um, one of the things that that uh, your circle of friends knows you as is an amateur chef, and and I've seen some of the dishes that you've prepared. What what uh, what species of shark do you enjoy cooking more than the others? Uh, mako for sure, mako, uh-huh. mako, and and small freshers, and, um, and how we, um, my, my circle of family, uh, we actually uh, prefer rather than uh, grilling up the mako, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like it ceviche. Oh, really? Yeah, mako makes an excellent ceviche. It, it's a just the right consistency. It yeah. doesn't. It, it doesn't disintegrate uh, with with uh, in the uh, 
uh, citric acid fruit that we, that's used. Uh, it doesn't disintegrate, and it's not it's not too tough. Mm-hmm. Now, for those listeners that don't uh, quite understand what ceviche is, and I'm assuming it's the same type of ceviche that you get like down in in uh, in, in in Mexico and South America, where you cure the fish basically with lime and and tomatoes and onions and and that sort of thing. Is that is that the way you prepare it? Yeah, it's actually it's at the uh, the citric acid in the in the fruits that you use. Uh, it actually is a chemical cooking process. Uh huh. Um, you, if you were, you can let's just say uh, let's make it extremely simple. You squeeze squeeze a lemon, and you put uh, fish in it. Uh, it actually chemically cooks. Uh, it changes. It it breaks down uh, the toughest cells. Uh, or the toughest uh, membranes in it, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's not like heat cooking. And, and actually, you can uh, overcook it even if you leave it in too long. It actually can be overcooked, and and it's and it can get uh, mushy, and it's not oh, yeah. as good eating as when it's in there for the uh, appropriate amount of time. And mm-hmm. there's a zillion different recipes for ceviche, oh, and. Yeah. Um, uh, we, you know, what, how they would say cook grouper, I'm going to use the phrase cook, um, mm-hmm. makes a viche with grouper down south is not exactly the same as how we would handle, say, mako up here, but it's, but it's very, very, but it's very similar. The basic right. principles are similar. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that. I've, I've had shark, uh, steaks a couple times and i really enjoyed that and and uh i would imagine the uh we, we eat a lot of marlin where i'm where i live and and uh it probably has the same texture of it as or it did the the, the at least the steaks that i had but so so michael you, you know that that story about the uh, family on the boat was fascinating and you've been you've been fishing for you know many many years for sharks out of montauk um, are there any other stories that come to mind that you can share with us? Yeah, I, I have another, I have another, uh, I have a bunch of them, but here's another interesting shark story. Okay. Um, we, uh, we had, uh, a, a group of guys that uh, fished with me many times. They since have moved away to different parts of the country and I haven't seen them in a couple of years. Uh, and the, their favorite was sharks because they like to catch something big and, some of them had their own uh, light tackle, and they like to, uh, you know, catch uh, a biggest shark on as light a tackle as, as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And on, on one trip, um, we were actually chumming for chumming for sharks. There was a couple of tuna around. We had caught at least uh, one uh, tuna, around 50 pounds, I believe. Mm-hmm. So we had something for dinner for them, and. Um, uh, one of the guys in the group had hooked a, about a 300-pound blue shark on, I think it was around 12-pound test. Wow, 12-pound, really? <laughs> yeah, and he, and he did, he'd been fighting it for five or ten minutes and had a bunch of line out there. And uh, a huge uh, mako came around the boat. And um, we, we hooked that one um, on... What, I, what we consider our most 
standard shark tackle, which is uh, it's all stand-up equipment, meaning you don't sit in the chair. It's it's a it's a soft tip rod that that bends at the tip, and it's meant to be fought in a in a in a belly gimbal and a shoulder harness if necessary. Which right. if you're going to be fighting, right? So anyway, one guy's fighting uh, this shark, and uh, this huge mako uh, swims up to the swims. He comes around the boat. Uh, we ended up uh, catching it, and they wanted to kill it, and they brought it home to eat it. It, it ended up being 613 pounds. Good lord! Uh, yeah, it's not the largest one I ever caught. It's it's up there though. Yeah, uh, but I have two over two over seven hundred. Anyhow, um, so it comes around the boat, and we hook it on what I consider standard uh, standard shark tackle, which which was the reel is called a fifty. Uh, that's oh. the size of the reel. But I and I have eighty pound test on my fifties, and it's still a good fight. And we hook this thing, and it runs off, and it's jumping around. And I I tell them that you know we really should cut the other shark off, and 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 fight this big fish, and right. the guy that's fighting, the guy that's fighting it on a light tackle says you know I don't want to cut, I don't want to cut this one off. Jeez. And I'm like, well, we have to concentrate. We you know every, everybody else on the boat wants to concentrate on the big one, right? I, I, on the big shark. I guess there was you know four of them on the boat, something like that, <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, we're we're backing up, chasing this 600 pounder around, and the guy with uh, fighting the blue shark ends up. Uh, his shark goes the other way, so he's up on the bow and uh, fighting his blue shark, which was pretty big, but it's going the other direction. Right, but he had he has very good tackle. He had you know very 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 advanced tackle. A lot of brand new line on the reel, a lot of line. So I'm like, I really can't worry about it. And right. um, yeah, and the, the shark, the 600 pounder, was especially tough one. And I, I believe it took about an hour and 20 minutes. And um, uh, we got him up to the boat, and. Uh, after about an hour and 20 minutes and, and we got him and we tied him up and uh, the the guy up on the bow is going I'm still fighting mine and this is after we had yeah after we had chased the the one out the back of the boat for I don't know probably a half a mile to a mile of maneuvering right. around and uh, uh, and ignoring uh, the guy on the boat fighting this uh, a, a another large shark on um, on on light tackle, and anyway, so he still he still fought. He was still fighting his fish. Never saw the fight of the really big one because his was going off in the other direction. And anyhow, he yeah. So uh, he, he finally got his shark up to the boat, and and then and we took some pictures and released that one. Yeah, but that 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 was pretty interesting. That uh, I said, you know, let's cut it off and. Wow! Yeah, that's double on. That's incredible. That yeah, that's quite common to fight it? a be fighting. It. Yeah, but yeah. It, you know, normally, normally when we have, uh, you know, if we have just say two blue sharks, 
on at the same time. We we just fight them both and deal with it, and then and and more than likely release them both. But when we have one that's a higher priority than the other, you know, when we know we were going to release the blue shark anyhow, and you yeah. have a, a big mako on the other line, uh, you don't want you really you generally don't want them interfering, and you would you know just cut the line of the less important shark. Right. And, and, concentrate, and concentrate on the more important shark. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. But, so, so, the, so the question bears, I mean, you've got this 600-pound mako in the boat. How, how, many, how many pounds of fillets do they get off, or steaks, do they get off of a 600-pound mako? I mean, it, it sounds like you're filling freezers at that point. Uh, yeah, probably nearly 500 pounds. My God, six thirteen, maybe over. Four, let me put it this way: over four hundred. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the the fish is um almost all muscle. You right. know, there's there's a uh, almost no bones. They're they're just a jawbone. The the whole rest of the shark is uh, just cartilage. Uh -huh. Um, and a, and a fish that size, it's um, it, it's just the the uh, the meat consistency gets grainy. Right. Uh, it, it's it's akin to, let's say, going out in the field and uh, harvesting a, I don't know how I don't know how old cattle live, but if they if they live to thirty years old, uh, harvesting say a twenty five year old bull, and you know having that for dinner, uh, right. you know it it still might taste okay, but the the it's very tough and it's going to require. Um, you know, specialized handling to make it palatable. Right. But, right. you know, but, but people insist, you know, on, on taking big ones home and I'm like, okay, you know, and I explain it to them before, before we kill it. And as of late, we've been releasing more uh, of the largest ones and uh, killing less of the largest ones mm -hmm. and, and hoping, mm -hmm. and hoping for medium sized stuff that are, uh, better eating, right? Right. You yeah. know, I I know uh, I know. Last year, uh, we released a thresher. Uh, I, I'm estimating around 600, um, and uh, the family was shooting video with their phone, but they never really got it. So I don't mm -hmm. have, you know, any uh, video documentation of that fish. Just uh, memories. Right. It was a father and a mother and two sons, and one of them fought it, and it was a, a great battle. And I don't know, they had lousy phones, so that you know everything that they, yeah, everything that they shot was just a, a blurry mess. Yeah. So how how far offshore are you typically fishing for shark? Uh, they can come in relatively. You know, they well as 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 we talked about when when we were. We're not on the air that, you know, sharks have been tracked swimming up, you know, rivers and things like that. Uh, but uh, uh, mo our most effective fishing is where the uh, deep water starts, which yeah. off of Montauk uh, is about seven miles. There's, a, there's the, the first drop off uh, from 100 to 180 feet. And, um, and out, out in that area also, uh, there's a water change. Uh, generally between the what well, we'll, let's just generally call the inshore water and the offshore water 
mm-hmm. uh, where the inshore water is colder and greener and the offshore water is a little warmer and bluer. And uh, so anyway, that, and, and that uh, depends, uh, although that, that line is generally speaking uh, seven to 10 miles out, um, it, you can run east and west and uh, that'll put you further away from land. So, you know, uh, that, that line that runs there and we run, we can run, say, down east uh, for a variety of reasons. And, and, and maybe we might be 25 miles out or, uh, yeah, or 15 or 12. And, uh, but gen- and often we're still around that inshore or offshore line. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, at, at that distance, you're, Still within what, maybe an hour of uh, hour runtime to get to the uh, uh, to get where you're going to fish. Sometimes that close, yes. Yeah. Wow. So, what's a typical day on the water? Uh, how many hours do you uh, take people out uh, uh, for, Michael? And and uh, what time of day do you take off and and come back and and uh, just give us an idea of a typical shark fishing trip? Well, we have many different kinds of kinds of trips and we're just going for say smaller species like striped bass and bluefish where we're we're uh-huh. out there for around five hours but a uh, shark fishing trip is that you're out for the day for a variety of reasons um it, it, you yeah uh when we're going for smaller ones we smaller fish we can often just stop and start catching them right away whereas uh shark fishing is a time investment thing when you're chumming uh, you may or may not catch something right away. You might have to wait a couple hours uh, mm-hmm. before you get something going. That's why you need the day. And uh, so an average shark day might be something like the following. Uh, leave the dock around 5.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop around the lighthouse and catch uh, some uh, fresh uh, fish to enhance our frozen fish stock of bait and chum. Uh, generally speaking, we're looking for some bluefish, possibly mackerel, porgies, could be a variety of things. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be nice to get a striped bass or two, uh, a good eating fish for the customers to take home to eat. Anyhow, so we do that and then we head off uh, anywhere from, like I said, uh, sometimes as close as seven miles uh, to more commonly uh, 12 to 20 mm-hmm. and set up a chum slick and fish tell depends on how far out we are and what kind of results we've had uh, fish from anywhere to to 130 to 230 or so and uh, and head her home uh-huh. and generally back around 430. Wow. Well, that that's a that's a full day then, and uh, it, it sounds as though uh, if people want to set up a trip with you, they they probably spend the night before or maybe the night afterwards. It uh, um, to get out the Montauk if they're coming from you know let's say New York or or, or uh, places thereabouts. Yep, pe- people do it both ways. They um, they either you know some uh, leave really early and drive out uh some leave like the night before and take a nap and and are waiting at the dock take a nap in the car uh others you know grab a place to stay for a couple nights uh-huh well and and uh, i would 
the the bluefin four from what I've seen of the vessel. I mean, it's a comfortable boat, so it, it, you're you're not like sitting on a, a on a cooler in the in the back of the boat getting sprayed. You're under a, a nice warm cabin and and relaxing as you're motoring out and motoring back in, right? Yeah, we have a couple of chairs outside. Um, I'm lucky enough that um, one reason we bought the boat is the entire gunnel area around the outside is basically uh, is a is a perfect height for a for a chair, and when it's uh, not too rough. You just sit on the side of the boat uh, oh. as well. Yeah. Oh, very yeah, good. It's flat. There's no lips. Uh, I like that design. I don't know why there aren't more. I don't know why there aren't more like it. Yeah. Now. Uh, Plus, besides yeah. the plenty of room inside. Yeah. How many people can you fish on a tip on a typical uh, charter day? Well, there's uh, licensing. Uh, the Department of Transportation, which the Coast Guard is underneath, uh, is um, uh, we're in the six passenger category. Uh huh. Uh, that's the dividing line. Uh, to carry a seventh person is an entire different set of of regulations, and uh, uh, they're complicated. And you know, some people, uh, some people elect to do that because naturally they can get more money. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so we carry six. And how many are actually fishing uh, depends on uh, what we're doing. There's a shark fishing. There's a lot of standing around and waiting, you know. Right. And we try to involve people in the uh, attracting the fish process. But um, uh, so I, I really can't say how many are. Uh, you know, it varies as to how many actually are doing something at any given time. Right. And and you you run a true charter. It isn't like a a walk on boat where you're fishing with other people you don't know. People charter the entire vessel for the day, right? Right. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. Especially sure. shark fishing. I do I do bottom fishing trips um, where we put together uh, what's called splits when there's two or three people that need two or three other people uh, mm -hmm. to put a, a trip together and. And they may not know each other, but um, uh, that's generally for your uh, smaller to medium-sized fish, sea bass, right. cod, blackfish, things like that. Uh, it's not a it's not a predominant uh, a predominant part of uh, of my business, but it is you know one of the slices of the pie. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. for the for the uh, yeah, but for the trophy-sized fish, it's generally a group that comes out anywhere for uh, two to six people with naturally four or five, six being the more common number. And, you know, they, they bring whoever they want uh, and everybody on the boat, you know, is knows everybody else on the boat. Right. They're either friends or family or like that. Right. Very good. And it, and it looked like um, you'd shared some photos with me um, that uh, you, you enjoy fishing uh, families and kids also. Maybe not on uh, all on the shark trips, but on some of the other uh, uh, shorter trips that you do. Yeah, well, even with even with the sharks, uh, I've had um, oh five or six year olds, uh, yeah. you know, catch a hundred pounder. Yeah, it's oh, not cool. easy, but yeah, but we use we use tackle, and you know, we help them hold the rod. It's not you know strictly IGFA rules or anything, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, right. 
or, you know, or they're just, it would, you know, and if we get a really big one, uh, the adults uh, fight the fish, but the youngsters uh, in, enjoy uh, being part of the experience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, no, but we have plenty of um, youngsters uh, down to, I don't know what the, the youngest is. Anyway, uh, three, four, five-year-olds, I have pictures of them. Uh, you know, we help them catch a striped bass. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that easy, but uh, we work it out. And, and some of them like bottom fishing where uh, I'm virtually on their own. Uh, they catch two, three, four pounds, uh, porgies and sea bass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. You know, I share the story uh, a lot that in your profession, being a charter boat captain, you know, when it comes down to, uh, you know, creating memories um, and what people think about in their life as they, as they go back and reflect, you know, they, can, they, they, they may think about some of the business deals that they've done or, you know, some of the other things that they've done in life. But, you know, you put somebody on a 600-pound mako or even a 100-pound, you know, blue shark when, when they're six years old. And, that, and that's, a, that's a memory that you as the charter captain have provided that person for a lifetime. And, you know, they, they probably will never forget your name. Um, <clears throat> and so I just must commend you for really, you know, providing a, a, a great service for people in this kind of crazy world that we live in. Yeah, I think it, you know it's it's uh, it's uh, a great experience as part of a uh, you know a, a younger person's uh, early life experiences. You bet, you bet. Well, very good. <clears throat> Forgive me, Michael. Um, so, if somebody wants to contact you, Michael, and and talk to you about a, a shark fishing trip or another type of charter that they would like to go on, and how to arrange it to, to come out and and fish with you, how would they do that? Well, I have a, uh, I can be uh, contacted by phone or text at mm-hmm. the following number, 631-680-4800. Uh, on my website, the name of my boat is Bluefin4, which is B-L-U-E-F-I-N-I-V. We use Roman numerals when we number boats, Bluefin4 is the uh, website uh, nicely designed by, uh, by by Ted. And on there, you can click on the email address if you want to contact me by email. Very good. Uh, and, and in regards to your, your calendar coming up for the 2019 season, 2020 season after that, um, I, I know you, you run a very popular boat. And so people you know, need to get a hold of you probably sooner than later if they know what their schedule is, right? Um, yeah, I have a, a, a bunch of days booked, but there's uh, still some opening. Uh-huh, uh-huh, very good. How, did, how does the 2019 season look uh, uh, so far in your eyes? Uh, I, have, I have an average amount of bookings. It's, it's, it's uh, really hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, if, you know, you have, you have some openings in your calendar at this time of year and they fill up as time goes on. And I um, really can't um, say how the year is going to pan out until after it's over. You know, I'm going to, I've always had enough charters. Um, you know, we just hope for 
uh, no breakdowns or you know any major any any major expenses. That's all, and that's that's the difference between a good year and a bad year. It, okay. Rather, you know, rather than rather than the number of charters. Yeah. How how does the fishing forecast look for the year? I'll tell you after the year's over. Hard <laughs> to say. We don't. We don't there's, there's fish swim. There's fish swimming around out there. We 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 don't know what we don't know what species there's going to be more of and what species there's going to be uh, less of. Which ones are, uh, you know, there's you know they vary in size year to year, uh, and on the species and uh, but there'll be something to catch. Oh, very good. Well, Michael, I uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know that. Uh, you're a busy guy, especially this time of year. And um, again, if if, uh, if our listeners want to come out and visit you at Montauk and go on a fishing charter, I would I would highly recommend they contact you, um, and uh, uh, you can provide them with a, a trip of a lifetime. It sounds like it, you'd be a fun guy to fish with. Uh, it was a pleasure to take my time to talk with you. <laughs> okay, thanks again, Michael.